Thank you, Pat. I know that's a message I needed to hear again and be reminded of. So thank you for being faithful. I direct your attention to the passage that Nathan read earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 3. As he said, we will be ordaining three men into the deacon ministry in this service. So it's very appropriate that we take a look at this text. I do, however, want to draw special attention to verse 13. Not only as it applies to those being ordained as deacons, not only to those who are serving now as deacons, but how it applies to all of us as servants. Because I believe in this verse, the Holy Spirit led Paul to take a very broad principle of reward and apply it specifically to deacons. So that's why the message this morning is not just for these three men, but it's for all of us. To be reminded that there is a reward for the servant who serves well. This past week for the Herod family has been a, a mixture. Emma has been doing well. Had some very, very good physical therapy sessions that we are very thankful for. Uh, our challenge is still with her lungs. Keeping those clear. So please continue to pray for that. She's just having a hard time with a particular issue so just pray that God will see us through that because like I said it was quite a mixture 1st Timothy 3 and I'm just going to read verse 13 for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus I'm very thankful for the three men that will be ordained into the deacon ministry. For Kevin DeFord, Rusty Ditton, and Ronnie Little. I've known them for several years and know them to be men of, of faithfulness, men who love the Lord, and men who are willing to serve. Serve is the key word. To be a deacon is to be a servant. Just like to be a Christian is to be a servant. The origin of the deacon ministry is found in the book of Acts, chapter 6. The early church was born out of Judaism. The first converts were Jews. And as they were beginning to grow in the gospel, they were still confronting some of the biases, some of the prejudices that they had carried with them. And the gospel brought these into conflict with one another, conflict with the truth of the gospel. These prejudices were often seen in the divisions that existed within the church. And one of the divisions occurred between a group known as the Hellenist and a group known as the Hebraic widows or the, the Hebrews. The division was this. The Hellenists believed that there was no harm in adopting some of Greek culture. So they had begun to dress in some of the ways that the Greeks would dress. Maybe even using some of the language of the Greeks. Maybe adopting some Greek philosophy along the way. The Hebraic aspect though, the Hebraic group, felt that that was heresy. They felt that you should not compromise in any way any of the traditions of the faith. So you could see how these two began to clash even within the early church. The problem came to a, a culmination around taking care of the widows. 
as the church was trying to be sure that widows were cared for, that they had what they needed for food and clothing, the accusation began to arise, well, you're not taking care of the Hellenists because of that Hebraic group. You're not taking care of our widows like you are the others. They began saying, it's not fair. This problem continued to grow. And it began to sap the time and the energy of the apostles, diverting their energy away from the preaching of the gospel and prayer. So they said, this isn't good. So God gave them the wisdom, the instructions to call out seven men who would, who would oversee taking care of the widows. They would oversee this work. And these men had to be of high character. That's why the characteristics, the qualities of a deacon are listed out in the scripture. The reason being so that as they are administering the need, they are men of such high character, there could be no accusation leveled against them. That's why these character qualities are emphasized. Now these deacons were not called to do all of the work. The office of the deacon is not one that is supposed to do the work of the church while everybody else just breathes a deep sigh of relief and takes it easy. Deacons are meant to lead in the work, to, to serve the church, to help us to be able to serve others, to lead the congregation in meeting needs. Because each church is instructed to call deacons to minister, Paul instructs the church regarding the character of those who are to serve. I'm not going to reread the list. Nathan read that earlier, but just take a quick look at it. Deacons are to be dignified, serious about who they are as believers. They're to be men of honesty. Men who are not controlled by anything else other than the Holy Spirit. They're not to be greedy. They're to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, knowing the gospel, seeking to live it. They are to be husbands of one wives or literally one woman men. This speaks of sexual purity in thought and in action. Managing their own children well. And I want to reiterate what Nathan said. What you read here is what's really expected of every believer every Christian. The deacons are not set aside as if they are super saints. They are models. They are to be men who exemplify these things. But every believer, I mean, when you read this, does this mean that, okay, for example, being sexually poor, well, deacons, they have to be one woman type men, but everybody else is off the hook? Do we really believe that? When it speaks of being men who are not double-tugged, men of honesty, does that mean, okay, deacons always tell the truth, but for the rest of us Christians, oh, we get a free pass? I, I don't think so. These are simply characteristics that are expected of every believer, but deacons are to become men who walk with the Lord, exemplifying these characteristics. They are to be models of what it means to live according to the gospel. Not perfect. But men whose lives are rooted in the gospel and they seek to live it. And because of that, notice in verse 13, there is a reward for the deacons who serve well. For those who serve well as deacons. Literally, the Greek text reads, for those who deacon well as deacons. So what does a deacon do? Well, a deacon deeks. They serve. 
So the deacon who deacons well is promised a reward. You see, the title deacon is really not a title. It's more of a description of what is done. Server. So the question we deal with now is this. What does it mean to serve well? What does it mean to deacon well? What does it mean for us as believers to serve the Lord well? Well, to deacon well means first and foremost to walk with the Lord. It means pursuing godliness. It means living according to the gospel. It is keeping, if I could use the cliche, the main thing, the main thing. To each of our deacons, the best thing you could do is have a thriving, vibrant walk with the Lord that spills out into every part of who you are so that scripture reading is a part of your daily walk. So that prayer eases out of you as an aroma that follows you around. That's the main thing. Walk with the Lord, love the Lord, live the gospel. In many ways, there's a simplicity to it. Just like a, a mailman's job is really simple. What? Deliver mail. One job, deliver mail. When that is pushed to the side, however, that's when problems arise. Did you know in September of 2014, there was a mail carrier in Brooklyn by the name of Joseph Brucato who was arrested because they found over a ton of mail in his possession that he had not delivered over five years? His boss got a little suspicious when he walked by Joseph's car and noticed that there was mail overflowing in the back seat. This caused an investigation where postal workers then, with warrants, went to the house and began investigating his apartment and found over a ton of mail that had not been delivered. You know, if you're not delivering the mail, guess what? You're not a mailman. If you're not walking with the Lord, guess what? You're not a believer. If I could be so bold as to say it so plainly, keep the main thing the main thing. Walk with the Lord. Seek Him. Love Him. It also means this. To deacon well means to realize the priority of preaching and prayer. We must be on the same page as a congregation. Now understand, in Acts chapter 6, the apostles were not against serving widows. That's not the point. They weren't saying that was beneath them. They recognized serving widows was an important function that shows the compassion of the Lord. But the problem was this. They were spending so much time taking care of those needs, they could not focus on preaching the gospel and prayer. It was robbing their energy. So therefore they call these men. So it is important for us as a congregation to recognize, to prioritize the proclamation of the gospel as well as prayer. We must recognize that these are things, these are callings. It deals with what we are called to do. In many ways, if I could use this analogy, because if you're not aware, football season has started. The quarterback has a job. Get the ball, throw it, hand it off, move the team down the field. But if that offensive line is not doing their job, the quarterback can't do his. What happens if an offensive lineman is a little bit upset with the quarterback, so the play is called, and the offensive lineman says, okay, there he is. It doesn't work. Quarterback cannot quarter laying on his back. It doesn't work that way. For the team to be effective, everyone recognizes their role and needs to pursue it. So we recognize the importance of the proclamation of the word and prayer. And deacons come alongside the ministerial staff to allow that to happen. What that means at Trinity, it means for the deacon is keeping in contact with senior adults. 
It means visiting the hospital. It means ministering to people to allow the pastors to focus on preaching and prayer. And when that is done well, there is reward. Now I confess to you, for years I was hesitant to preach about reward. Somehow I had gotten the wrong idea that to serve for reward was wrong. Instead of saying, you know what, you'll be blessed if you do this, we say you should do it because of what Christ has done for you. However, I realized I was wrong in that thinking. God is pleased when you serve Him seeking reward. I say that based on Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. You'll see it up on the screen. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please Him. So you have to believe, you have to have faith. Because whoever would draw near to God, okay, you want to be near to God. You want to know peace, joy, love, patience, understanding. You want to know the power and the glory. First, you must believe that He exists. You must have no doubt that God is. He exists. That's the first thing. Now look at the second thing. And that He rewards, go back if you will, that He rewards those who seek Him. You have to believe that. It honors God when we say, Lord, if I serve you, if I seek you, there will be reward. That is a good thing, and it magnifies the graciousness of God. There is nothing wrong with seeking that. We see that model in Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says about Jesus, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the suffering and shame. For the joy set before him, for the reward set before him, for the joy that would come, he suffered. And understand, that is a motivation for every believer, not just deacons. Because what is true of deacons is true of us. There is reward for serving well. In Luke 19, Jesus told a parable. He tells about a rich king who calls three servants in front of him. To each servant, he gives an amount of money. To one, he gives $10,000. To one, he gives $5,000. To another, he gives $1,000. And he says, go, this is yours. Work with it. Be a steward of it. I'm going out of the country for a while. Well, Jesus says when the king is out of the country and he's gone, the enemies of the king begin rising up. But even so, the king returns. He squishes his enemies and he calls these three men to give an account. The one given $10,000 comes and he says, Lord, I put the money to work and I have earned you $100,000. And the king says, well done, good and faithful servant. Good. The other one says, okay, I only had... Only had 5,000, but I put it to work. I only earned 7,000. The king says, you did well. Well done. The last one steps up and says, you know, you gave me $1,000, but I knew you were a tough king. I knew you'd hold me accountable, so I just, I just sat on that money. I didn't do anything with it, so here's your $1,000 back. The king says, you wicked servant. You knew I would hold you to account for what you did with it, and you did nothing. I'm taking what you had, and I'm giving it away to the one who had 10000 And then the parable concludes with this. And then the king destroyed his enemies. Now I want you to think about what takes place here. There will be an account for how we use what God's given us. There will be reward, or there will be loss of reward. But notice that servant maintained his status as servant. He wasn't destroyed. 
The enemies were, but not that servant. So to me, this is not about loss of salvation. It's dealing with reward and what we will gain on that day of God when we serve faithfully. Serving faithfully merits reward. And in verse 13, there are two that are mentioned. Notice he says, for those who deacon well, they gain a good standing for themselves. Standing refers to status or rank. Now the question comes, for whom does this faithful deacon gain a good standing? In front of whom? There are generally two answers given. One is the world. This fits in with what is spoken about elders when he says that with an elder who serves well, he will gain a good reputation outside of the church. And the argument goes that the church was suffering. There were people that were questioning it. And deacons who serve well gain good reputation within the community. I think that's a very valid interpretation. The reason I don't wholeheartedly support that is because 1 Peter says that even when we do have good reputation, we may suffer outside of the church. That's why I take the second track. I believe the good standing is within God. I speak the good standing here speaks of the approval of God. I think it speaks of hearing God say, well done, my good and faithful servant, that you gain in standing before God. This goes back to a concept I heard years ago and it has stuck with me. There, is, there are few things greater in life than the praise of the praiseworthy. This is what I mean. We're very blessed to have a great pianist here, Julie. Now she's embarrassed even as I say that. Now I hope she feels encouraged when I say, good job, Julie. Way to play. But now suppose we were able to transport Julie through time. And she played in front of Ludwig von Beethoven. And Beethoven looks at her and says, Julie, yeah. You can play. Now, which is going to mean more to Julie? Mark Harrod saying, you can play. Man, you can tinkle those ivories. Or to hear Beethoven say, you got it, girl. clear isn't it it's just like a basketball player to hear somebody say you played very well is good but to hear LeBron James say you played outstanding the praise of the praiseworthy is more meaningful so what will it be like on that day when we stand before the suffering servant and to hear him say well done you get a glimpse of this with what happened to one of the first deacons a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen was killed for his faith. He was stoned to death, beaten to death by rocks. The scripture tells us that as he is dying, as rocks are pelting him, he looks up and he, be, he sees the glory of God. And the interesting thing is that glory is defined. It says that he sees Jesus standing now the reason that's amazing is that the description of Jesus after the ascension consistently throughout the New Testament is that he is seated at the right hand of God. Seated, in authority, fixed. But when Stephen looks up, he sees Jesus standing as if Jesus is giving a standing ovation saying, Well done, Stephen. Well done. Welcome. Welcome. You did it right. That's good standing. That will be worth anything that we endure on this earth. 
And a deacon is promised that, just as every believer is promised when we serve well. The other thing that is promised in verse 13 is great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Great confidence deals with boldness and assurance. In Greek literature of the time, to be bold and to have assurance meant the right to make one's thoughts known. Now in the New Testament, boldness is used in a lot of ways. It's used to talk about boldness in preaching, boldness in proclaiming the gospel. But when you merge those two ideas of boldness and the idea of speaking, to me it deals with boldness in approaching the throne of God. You see this upon the screen in Ephesians 3 verses 11 through 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Because of Jesus we can have confidence and boldly approach the throne of God. That's what it says in Hebrews 4.16 that we can draw near to the throne of God with confidence that we might receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Such confidence is a description of our prayer life so a deacon who serves well has confidence that as they pray God is here and God is at work and that confidence spills over into every aspect of life to have confidence when you serve well knowing you need not be afraid confidence in knowing that God is at work confidence in knowing that whatever challenges come your way God will see you through I teach a class at Providence Academy half for several years and one of the things that is this is horrible to admit, but it's kind of funny to me as a teacher. And teachers, I think you'll agree with me. When you ask a question in class, you can look at the class and you know who knows the answer and you know who doesn't. And you see those students who don't know the answer living in fear. Don't make eye contact with Dr. Herod. Don't make eye contact. If you don't see him, he doesn't see you and he will not call on you. But the students who are confident, who are prepared, it's different. That student who says, like, bring it on. I'm ready. Confidence. Confidence in how we live. This is a reward that is very tangible now to say that, Deacon, when you serve well, your life will be marked by a confidence in prayer and a confidence in God that spills over into everyday life. But the key is this serve well this is not just a carte blanche promise this is a promise given to deacons who serve well and believer it applies to us because we are expected to serve well since I've taken up the game of golf one of the golf legends that I love reading about is Ben Hogan man who overcame poverty the suicide of his father a car wreck in 1949 to achieve heights in the game of golf that are almost hard to imagine. One of the things that stands out to me about Mr. Hogan is his work ethic. People would ask him, what's the secret? And he would often respond by saying this, the answer is in the dirt. And that's his way of saying the answer is in working at it. Go into the practice range. The answer is in the dirt. Work, practice, that's how you improve. These promises are for those who are willing to roll up their sleeves and get in the dirt, as it were. Serve. And what is true for the deacon is true for each believer. 
This is a call to roll up our sleeves and go to work and to know that God will reward those efforts. Now, there are two things that are going to be going on right now. In just a moment, we're going to set aside these three men into the deacon ministry through prayer and the laying on of hands. But before we do that, I want to ask you, congregation, to get out this brochure. These should not be new to you. These were placed in your bulletin two weeks ago. In just a few minutes, we're going to give you the opportunity to respond. And even as we pray for Rusty, for Ronnie, and for Kevin, it's also a call for us to say, where will we serve? At this time, I'd like to ask those three men to come. So Kevin, Ronnie, and Rusty, if you would make your way to the front. I'm going to ask you to spread out just a little bit in front of the communion table and to begin just by facing me for just a moment. If you haven't had the chance of getting to meet these three men, I hope that you will get to know them. I wanted to take a moment before we lay on the hands just to thank you all. I've known you all for many years. And it's a blessing to me to know you as men of quality, men of Christian commitment. And I encourage you, I charge you to keep walking after him. I can say genuinely, I love each of you from the bottom of my heart. And I count it a privilege to serve alongside you. The call to be a deacon is a call to serve. And I'm sure in your minds, each of you can think of men that made an impact on you as deacons when you were growing up. Men you've known in church. And the beautiful thing is now there are eyes look that will be looking at you all. I don't say that to add pressure. But to know that you all get a chance now to impact people for the gospel. And what an opportunity. I'm going to ask you now, if you will, to turn and face the congregation. And I'm going to invite those who have been ordained to make their way forward. And I want to ask you, please, and let's all just stand right now. I'm going to ask all those who are ordained, some of you together around Kevin, some around Ronnie, and some around Rusty. And we will circle around them.